This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen with you. On today's episode of Afternoons, we are bringing in the love experts, Dr. Thraya, clinical psychologist, sharing why so many of us are unrealistic about our relationship expectations, crucially, what to do about it as well, and taking your questions too. We're meeting the cosplayers ahead of the Middle East Film and Comic Con, getting the scoop on a family-friendly rave. Yes, you heard me right, that's happening next week in Dubai and raising awareness around a tricky topic of child abuse and just some of the ways we as parents can talk to our children about it. Joining us from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic, Dr. Thraya, clinical psychologist, and we are lifting the lid on unrealistic expectations in marriage. Dr. T, how are you? Well, Helen, how are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. I find this a really interesting topic because we, a lot of us think of us, ourselves as being, you know, romantics, but also realists. And I wondered how, tr- how true those things are and if they can actually coexist. So I wanted to ask you, I mean, I was reading about divorce rates recently um, and they've, they've been pretty stable, actually, around 40, this is out of the UK, about 42% of marriages ending in divorce. And that's been the case for about a decade now. Um, you at the clinic there, you and your colleagues do an awful lot of work around marriage counselling, whether that is couples wanting to stay together or couples looking to separate, but do so in a child-centric way if they're getting divorced in the family, for example. Would you mind explaining, before we start talking about this idea of unrealistic expectations, maybe pointing to some of the main reasons that couples are separating in Dubai? Well, um, I would definitely start off with uh, feelings of contempt, uh, feelings of resentment, but also an extreme lack of effective communication as well as respect for each other's boundaries. Ooh. So I would say those would be the top reasons that I see a lot of individuals kind of um, uh, find it difficult for the relationship to move forward. And and to be fair, I think the, the main purpose behind all of those reasons is is really a sense of pride and a sense of ego that a person is not willing to let go of. Interesting. Okay, so I was listening to Alain de Botton, the philosopher, recently, and I want mm. to play you this clip. This is him speaking on Diary CEO. The love expert are revealing the biggest reason why relationships fail. Romanticism gives us this extraordinary idea that love is something that should be felt and communicated without words, right? So the, the, the most romantic people think, uh, the most romantic sentence that often people will say is, I met this person and we didn't even need to speak. We just felt on the same page. Everyone goes, oh, how romantic. Ding, ding, danger. Um, because it's, you know, well, this leads to a catastrophic outbreak of sulking, right? W- what is sulking, right? A, what is a sulk? A sulk is a fascinating pattern of behavior where you get very angry with someone because they have not understood you without, even though you haven't said anything, they've not understood you and you get offended because you think, because you're a romantic person, you think they can't possibly love me because true love means understanding somebody, you know, intuitively, um, wordlessly. And therefore, I'm not going to speak. And so, you know, you come back from a party with your, with your partner and uh, they say to you, is anything wrong, darling? And you go, mm-mm. Of course there is, but you're not going to tell them. 
And then they start saying, come on, you can tell me what's wrong. And, and the sulking person goes, no, no. And this can go on and on and on. I mean, you know, we're all, we've all been at it sometimes. <laughs> you know, you, you go home, uh, you, you go straight upstairs, you go to the bathroom, you shut the door. And then your partner's kind of knocking at the door. Okay, please, darling, just, just tell me what's wrong. And you go from behind the door, no. And, and the reason is that you're a romantic and you believe that your partner should have miraculous, almost alien capacities to look through the bathroom door into your gnarled and wounded soul to understand what the upset is. But of course they can't because they're just human. You know, it takes us a long time to realize that other humans are not mind readers. You know, one of the first things we should always ask is, have I told them this? I, I know I'm upset, but did I tell them this? And so often the answer is not quite because we're romantics. And so we have to do that really, I mean, you know, we can accept it's really boring. We've got to use words. We've got to painfully stack up words and go, uh, um, the reason that I'm getting a little tetchy is because. And you've got to explain yourself. It's not very romantic. That is philosopher, author Alain de Botton speaking to Stephen Bartlett. Dr. Thryer speaking with us today on Dubai I 103.8. I could almost hear you nodding along over Zoom there. Um, what's your take in terms of the biggest reason relationships fail? It sounds like there's two there, expectations, but communication. Mm -hmm. I, I love Alain de Botton because I think he really hits the nail on the head every single time that he has any of his, his uh, YouTube videos. But this is absolutely accurate. You know, the reason why when I when you asked me what's like a big factor, I said effective communication is because even though it's communicative for a person to kind of ignore or, you know, give the silent treatment, but that's not effective communication. So effective communication is key in a relationship where you are willing to be not just vulnerable with your partner, but also be open with your partner and share what's on your mind in a clear manner that they can understand. So you want to communicate to your audience. And this is a big difficulty that a lot of us have. Our tendency is to communicate what in the way that we want people to communicate with us rather than communicate in a way that the other person can actually yeah, hear us. Be receptive to. Dr. Thry with the state. Joining us live from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic, Dr. Thraya, clinical psychologist, and we're talking about being realistic about our expectations in love. Um, I wanted to ask you, Thraya, um, I guess some of the common expectations that people hold when it comes to relationships and being in love and being in love for longer than a year. <laughs> um, what, are some, what are some of the things you hear and, and work with clients on? Uh, are we referring to realistic ones or unrealistic I ones? I want the unrealistic expectations that I think a lot of people listening today probably hold. Uh, I would start with that uh, that they shouldn't argue. So an extremely unrealistic expectation of a quote-unquote healthy relationship is that we don't argue, right? Um, another one is that you kind of always know what the other person is thinking and what the other person is feeling without anything being said, mm -hmm. Um, another thing is that they always tend to agree with you or side with you on certain matters, even if, you know, that's not necessarily their opinion. Um, I, another one I would say is, is a very, very uh, powerful one is that spending a lot of their time with you. So people tend to forget that in a relationship, in order to be in a healthy relationship, you have to have time alone as well as time with your partner rather than just doing everything 
together all the time, right? And, and where do um, these expectations come from? Where do these kind of constructs? Is it is it media, movies, social media? You know, our, pretty much. Our, our, yeah, pretty much. Okay. okay. I, I was going to say exactly what Alain de Botton said, which was pretty much this, the age of romanticism. So reading these beautiful books where, you know, the person falls madly in love with the other person, does everything under the sun for them and Hollywood movies and all the social media. I mean, it's great in an idealistic world, but in reality, these things don't happen. We have responsibilities, we have life, we have, you know, stressors, all different things like that. And then and this leads to another unrealistic expectation, which is that, that your partner is always going to be there for you in times of your distress, mm-hmm. which won't necessarily be the case because sometimes you both can be in distress at the same time. That's interesting, thinking about them being your rescuer, your, you know, your, mm. interesting whether you are male or female. So how do these unrealistic expectations contribute to relationship challenges um, and Ultimately, it sounds like if you're quite self-aware to we're going to get into that later. But in terms of contributing to challenges, what problems can those expectations bring up? Well, I would say significant problems when it comes to effectively communicate and especially the the, the difficulty of, of being and feeling resentful towards your partner or feeling like your partner, quote unquote, doesn't isn't in love with you or mm. feeling that your partner, quote unquote, isn't putting enough effort in in the relationship. But in reality, these efforts that the person is kind of expecting are so unrealistic that not a single person might actually fit into that mold anyway. And so it creates this, um, you know, grass is greener on the other side mentality, which, you know, if I was with X person, you know, this person could do that. And this is what we end up doing. We end up comparing, well, look how this person's partner is with them. Well, yes, great. In front of you on a one-off chance, maybe that one might be there. But in reality, it's not going to be a day-to-day thing. I mean, people forget that. Like what they see is not necessarily the reality in in like a day-to-day, minute-to-minute occurrence. Mm, that's right. Um, Dr. Thry with us today on Dubai I-103.8. Now, we love the Gottman Institute. This is Drs. Julie and John Gottman. They have a research-based relationship, uh, approach to relationships. So some great resources, great tools, and they have the concept of good enough love. And I wondered what, what the Gottman say about our expectations in love. In, in reality, I mean, what they usually talk about um, when it comes to the good enough love, they're really looking at it about the realistic expectations that you should have with your partner that will not affect the, um, the relationship in a negative manner. So these are things like having expectations in a relationship that are realistic and, and upping your standards so that you can actually invite the relationship that you're looking for. So things like, for instance, trust things like honesty, things like loyalty, things like respect, understanding and compromise, um, quality time together, any of these kinds of good enough relationships, what you're doing is you're, you're giving yourself expectations in the relationship, but not so high that they become unrealistic that you can't actually achieve them. So mm. what they talk about when it's the good enough relationship, it's about finding that strength in the foundation of the relationship based on the values that you have 
and that you expect in the partner that you have without settling for something less because, quote unquote, you don't want to feel disappointed. Well, thank you for, for saying the settling word there, because that's what I wanted to ask you, because we're not we're not talking about do not have expectations, do not have standards. You know, we all have these non-negotiables um, for what you mentioned some really fantastic ones there about, you know, trust and honesty and quality time. What we're talking about, these unrealist expectations. And as we heard earlier, you know, being able to read your mind, you know, for example, mm-hmm. or if we have a fight, that means we're doomed or this is how I expect to be treated. And if he or she isn't, you know, fulfilling my every wish, desire and shopping list, then, you know, this isn't this isn't the person for me. I mean, what about that materialistic piece? Is that something that social media is fed into as well? Um, I, w- I would say yes and no. To be fair, I mean, there, there are some relationships that have existed prior to social media where the material aspect is, has kind of been there before, but definitely it's, it's exacerbated it. But for some individuals, again, their value system might include a sense of material um, necessity. And that may not necessarily be a problem to a, to a partner who values a similar thing. So again, we're not judging what your value systems are or not even what you're expecting in a relationship. But what we're saying is in order for you to be in a healthy relationship, you need to share those values and you need to share those kind of expectations with your partner so that you're on the on the same page because when you think to yourself okay I don't want to have this kind of expectation because I don't want to feel disappointed or if I have or I want these extremely high expectations which no one will ever meet Mm -hmm. you know this is where we kind of go wrong in relationships but as long as we're matching with our partner then we create a sense of unity and a sense of like strong foundation Mm -hmm. for the relationship to grow. I think I don't want to bring it back to social media, but I do feel like, you know, there is an awful lot of whether it's, you know, amazing proposals or, you know, weddings and all of those beautiful moments, you know, fantastic. But there is an awful kind of flaunting, flaunting of love. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's very easy, as you say, to be judging relationships or looking from the outside in and thinking, oh, gosh, you know, they must have an amazing intimate life. And oh, my goodness, you know, they're just, you know, the most beautiful, happy couple of all time. Every couple has issues. Every single couple has those, you know, slamming doors, those, I can't believe you just said that, you know, the silent eye rolls, you know, all all of that nonsense. I think it just takes an awful lot of self-awareness. And that's what I wanted to ask you about, you know, what role does self-awareness play in managing expectations within a relationship and how can we cultivate this awareness? Well, I think significant because, you know, a lot of people misunderstand the word self-awareness. Self-awareness is not the same as self-knowledge. So self-knowledge is knowing things about yourself and learning and having more insight, whereas self-awareness means that you're actually doing something about it. So it takes it a step further. And it's one thing to say, oh, okay, you know, I'm quite stubborn in a relationship. And then I just leave it there versus being self-aware enough to say, okay, I'm stubborn in a relationship. I need to work on it by doing one, two, three. Mm -hmm. And so that self-awareness piece is extremely important because it not only allows me to understand how I influence my relationship, but it also allows me to see how my partner influences the relationship in a positive and in, in more of a developmental aspect. So it's, it's, it's a lot more complex. You know, it's interesting, Helen, I I say this to all of my clients. I say, when we're kids, we're evaluated by our parents. When we are, uh, when we go to school, we're evaluated by our teachers. When we go to university, we're evaluated by our professors, go to work, we're evaluated by our bosses, but nobody ever evaluates a relationship. We never sit down to have a conversation, just say, what's going right here? 
Mm-hmm. What are some areas of development that we need to work on together? And what, in what way can I work on that? And what any, way can you work on I that? I think any couple that does that would give me the biggest ick of like, we're going to sit down and have a little <laughs> chat about not just like an airing of grievances, but like, you know, what can we work on? I'm like, sorry, no, that makes my skin crawl. It really it does. works. It oh, works very God, well, no. by the way. It really does. I mean, listen, you don't have to do it in the cringy way I'm talking about it now, but you can find your own way to make it work where you do kind of look at, you know, like, how have I been in this relationship for you? What mm. what have I been doing that's been helping? And what what do you feel that I've been doing that maybe you'd like me to do either differently or more of? <laughs> to I think. know you're cringing. <laughs> I can see your face. I can see it. <laughs> okay, tell you what, I will. I'll put this to Mr. Farmer tonight. <laughs> see, <laughs> I don't think. Terrified. We are talking relationship expectations. Are yours too high, Dr. Thryer, on hand as we unpack some of the most common expectations, why they can be so damaging to a relationship and ultimately doing a bit of fixing as well. So if you want to add your question to the list, we're going to be going to the text line in just a few minutes. Um, and you can be completely anonymous if you prefer. 4001, um, Finn saying good luck with your chat tonight with Mr. Farmer. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've spent the last 10 years trying to unbutton a very... Uh, emotionally buttoned up man i'm making some progress but if i sat down and said to him what do you think is going right and wrong about a relationship i think it would be 10 years of marriage down the toilet so dr thryer let's go to the text line um serena saying what is the difference between um setting good boundaries and expectations is there a difference as such how would you separate that and does it really matter um i think it's how you i guess how you define expectations versus boundaries but in the way that I would envision it in the way that I think the research shows it for us is, is kind of like an expectation is something that's uncommun it's, it's not communicated properly. Mm. And it's, it's usually something that you are at times, again, uh, at times it could be something that you kind of infringe on someone else, yeah. you know, like I expect you to do things the way that I like you to do them kind of a thing versus a boundary is very much rooted in respect for oneself as well as respect for another person. Okay. And it's usually communicated. Okay. Thank you. Good distinction to make. Um, Tash has been in touch saying, I have a few friends who have been single for many years or have had a series of quote unquote unsuccessful relationships. In most cases, there is a reason for this. E.g. one friend has totally unrealistic expectations that no one can live up to. She wants a partner who is handsome, pays for everything, worships her. She goes on a few dates and finishes things for reasons like they didn't pay for her taxi home. Obviously, she's entitled to have standards and non-negotiables, but sometimes I think she's her own worst enemy when it comes to dating. Another friend wants to maintain his freedom and go out and do whatever whenever he wants, even when in a relationship, he really won't compromise. So I'm wondering if Dr. T talk about single people too, not those those who are happily single, of course. Good question. By the way, Chloe and I are cooking up a little pre-Valentine's Day mingle. If anyone fancies doing some speed dating with us, send me a little heart emoji. We're just trying to get a bit of a read of the room if anyone is up to meet some meet some friends or, or maybe more. 4001. Um, so unrealistic expectations when looking for love, Thraya. Can you help us on that? I think, uh, I think it's a tricky one because sometimes some things are just... They're, they're expectations that a person has that other people may not necessarily agree with. And sometimes the, the expectations are quite unrealistic. And I mean, it's hard to evaluate because the reality is, is that 
Um, you know, when I work with my clients, I have a lot of them that will say to me, because I devised this system where we talk about expectations and the system is split into three categories. So like basic standards and bonuses. And for something like a, a like an, an expectation of the, the basis of a relationship, I tell people like, it doesn't matter what yours are. You have to decide what works. And at the same time, you have to be realistic with yourself and say, well, am I going to lessen the pool of individuals that I might en end up meeting? And if so, am I okay with that? And if I'm not okay with that, then I need to maybe kind of revisit and reevaluate. And then at the same time, I ask people to take a look at their expectations and say, well, are these expectations in line with your value system or are they more in line with, with like a fantasy that you have of what a relationship should look like? And if they are more in line of, with your value system, then, then maybe they're, you know, they're just, they need to be there. Whereas if they're kind of there for like a more fantastical, idealistic, mindset then that might need to be re revisited makes sense okay text line here uh 4001 we've only got a few minutes left but um hope hopefully helping you out with um i'll chat this afternoon with dr Thariah here on dubai i 103.8 anonymous message saying i fell in love once and it was magic she became my wife after 13 years we ended in divorce i'm now in my 40s with a lot more life experience and skepticism that life brings do you think it's unrealistic to expect to get that magic of feeling in love again I feel I may unfairly break up with someone relatively early if I don't feel that. Um, I can tell you it's from, uh, obviously, it's from, it's from a man there in his 40s. So thank you for, for reaching out there. And I guess voice, voicing some fears about getting back out there with the expectations of having that magic again. Well, you know, it's extremely scary to, to get back out there after so long of being in a relationship, not not just because the dating world has changed significantly, but also because it's been a while since you've dated. So it's it's really understandable for that fear to be there. Um, on the other hand, though, I think, you know, when you when you go through relationships, you learn so much about yourself if you allow yourself to. And sometimes, you know, at different ages, we want different things and we expect different things about ourselves and about our partners. And so this could be a great time for you to explore different type of, you know, that tang, that love that you that you've kind of wanted. It may not necessarily look like what it did before, because, you know, when we're younger, we're looking for that, you know, butterflies in the stomach, the lust and the passion part of a relationship where, in fact, as you mature, you kind of understand that that that's kind of part of the it fades and it needs to mature into more compassion and more like consistency and more trust and confidence in the relationship. So it's not like the love won't be there. It'll just be different. Mm -hmm. I, think that's, I think that's a really healthy way to look at it because, you know, I think we all had those, you know, teenage and, and you know, early 20s. I mean, it's, it's, ob it's obsession, you know, it really is, for, you know, it's complete infatuation and what we might be looking for, what might connect with in our 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, second marriages, third marriages can be really, really different. But I think you're absolutely right. A really great time to reflect on actually what you what you do want, what you are looking for. Um, by the way, if you fancy coming along to me and Chloe's single mingle night and had a Valentine's Day, give me a little thumbs up on the on the uh, text line 4001. Dr. Thurow, we've got just 30 seconds left. Um, relationship resolutions. What do you think everyone can really benefit from doing more or indeed less of in 2024? Um, I would have to say less expectations, more effective communication, more speaking up about your needs and really trying to learn to understand the other person and their perspective. 
You're so wise. Dr. Thryer, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time. We'll talk to you very soon indeed. In the meantime, you can find Dr. Thryer and the team at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. I guess something of a trigger warning, and I'm going to be completely honest, this is a topic that I'm not relishing talking about. I don't think anyone, especially parents, really want to be confronted with the idea of child abuse and and just how common it is. However, it is unfortunately in these in this discomfort, in this silence where predators thrive. And this is why it's so important to be raising awareness, especially in light of a new campaign that's taking a bit of a creative slant at this. Joining us on air now is Sarah Aziz. She's got a master's in psychotherapy. And we're doing exactly that, raising awareness and sharing a creative way to talk about it with your kids. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today. Would you mind explaining a little bit about the organisation that you're from, the NGO, and and your, your passion, I think, really, for raising awareness around a very uncomfortable but necessary topic. Thank you, Alan, for having me today, for sure. Uh, I'm Sara Aziz. I'm the founder and president of SAFE. SAFE organization is working through and with the Middle East uh, entities, organizations and governments to raise awareness on sexual abuse for children and teenagers. Empowerment is our keyword. Empowerment is our safe, calming world even for the parents and caregivers. Everyone is afraid from electricity. Everyone is afraid that kids can be harmful through doing any practice through electricity. But when we educate them about it, when we put it away from them, when we keep them safe from it, this makes us as families and parents feeling safe and confident that our kids are safe. This is exactly the module and methodology we are following in safe that we empower generations through talking about about it with three messages. You are precious. You have boundaries. You can say no. Come and tell me anytime. Opening the discussion is the key. I think it, it absolutely is, you know, having the, that idea of an open communication between our children. And sometimes it's little silly things and sometimes we shut them down and say we're too busy and da 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 da, da. And I get that. Yes. I, did, I did this morning. I've been feeling incredibly guilty all day about how I spoke to my daughter this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but to make sure we keep on going back and making sure they know that they can come to us. Then we're going to talk about how, what's age appropriate um, soon. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you perhaps a difficult question. And I, I think the numbers are going to surprise everyone listening today. But how common is child abuse and sexual mm-hmm. child abuse in particular in the region, Sarah? Statistics differs from uh, country to another, but the general statistics speaks that one out of three girls and one out of six boys. Generally, you can say that one out of nine kids will face sexual harassment. More tough statistics for me, Helen, is 93% of the abusers are from the close people to the family, not strangers, which even put put more burden on us as families and parents on how to talk about it with our kids. Maybe we're more frustrated, more afraid and more scared to discuss such things. But I, I assure parents who are listening to us today, actually those statistics push you further to talk to your kids about it, not make you more silent about it. You need to talk about body parts. You need to talk about boundaries, uh, bubble, how to say no, how empowered he should and she should be. And the most important message, we are on your side as parents. We will always believe you. We will take your right and we will defend you. This will encourage our kids to talk about it, even at early stages, not even being worse and worse. Goodness me. I wasn't expecting yes. that. I mean, it's, the, tough. it's tough. I mean, the prevalence it, itself is heartbreaking. 
And then it's the, yes. tr- it's the trust factor. It's who we have our children around. And it's not about scaremongering. That's not what, that's not what we're doing this afternoon. Exactly. What I really yeah. want to do is, is for us as parents to be having what might sound like big, scary conversations, but it's really not. It's not about sitting down with our children and saying, this is what abuse is. This is what abuse looks like. It's about, yes. as I said, in a minute, we're going to be talking about some age-appropriate ways and indeed the music that we're talking about today because yes. Igami's put together um, some songs against child abuse to really yes. in- introduce this as a topic. Um, so that mm. is coming next. Sarah Aziz, she's joining us from SAFE. She's got a master's in psychotherapy. We're going to be hearing some of those songs that have come out from Angami, the protective rhymes, uh, titles such as We Keep No Secrets, Your Body Belongs to You, Yell No. Sarah Aziz with us as we lift the lid um, and get very real about child abuse and ultimately, as Sarah so beautifully puts it, empowering our children in this battle. Bit of a trigger warning um, and thank you for being with us today. It's a really important one. Um, I know it's confronting as a parent or just a a person in the world when we think about the realities of child abuse and sexual child abuse in particular, but the numbers are staggering. However, there are some people who are making a real effort to raise awareness, to empower our children and our teens on this topic. And I'm really honoured to be in conversation now with Sarah Aziz from SAFE. She's got a master's in psychotherapy, has been working with Angami on a series of songs against exactly this topic. Songs that call things like Your Body Belongs to You. Your body, your body, your body Your body belongs to you Your arms, your legs, your face Are okay for me to see But your bottom, your chest And everything else all belong to you Your body, your body, your body, your body belongs to you. I can't touch you in places that no one else can see. Your body, your body, your body, your body belongs to you. Speaking really to the point there, Sarah, that it really is never too early to be starting conversations around correct names for body parts, around consent. And I I think the idea of stranger danger is so out of date but also as you alluded to earlier we think about just how many sexual abuse cases are actually to do with people that are known to the family and the children even in the family it's also pretty inaccurate as well um tell us a little bit about why you think songs and even books that are aimed at children are really crucial part in educating them around this topic yes so visuals is uh, is proved to be one of the most powerful tools that can kids easily learn through. So talking with them about uh, important topics, as topics we've we've been discussing uh, now uh, together, can be easily uh, delivered to them as a song, as a melody, as a message, as a creative way of a visual, like the exact things that Enremi proudly did uh, to all of us. So you uh, be worried about how to say a message because it's important to say it but the, the main question is how do you say it? Mm-hmm. You want to educate them you want to empower them but you don't want to scare them. You don't want to take away that they are children and they need to live 
as children and to enjoy their childhood. But on the other side, you are so aware of the dangers out there from people around the families, from maybe strangers and non-strangers, because kids are now so exposed on internet and offline. So you need to make sure that they are aware and the message is delivered and they need to stay safe. So using visuals, melodies and songs like the one Anghani released are incredibly amazing. Help us and even make it flexible for us as parents to send the message. Mm -hmm. I can talk about the concept of body parts, but I can just also put it on a song for him to listen. He can keep on repeating it. He can show it to a friend. He can play it on with someone. So it's as if we are expanding the awareness and the safe zones for children and teenagers. And as I said earlier, it's not about having one conversation and moving past. This is something that needs to be kind of interwoven into not sorry day-to-day conversations, but certainly part of the narrative as parents. And something that I saw popping up around my kids' school the other day, and you mentioned visuals there, was this idea of the outline of a hand. You know, these are the five people that I trust. These are five people that can, you know, help me get change, that I could I could go to if I feel, you know, in, in trouble. Yes. So would you mind just offering up some practical sure. advice for parents as we think about being age appropriate around the topic of consent and abuse? Yes. It's very important to be aware that we need to start talking about sexual abuse for children from a very early age. We start in safe awareness sessions and workshops when they are three years old. Three years old, we start educating them about body parts, how to stay, say no, how to say uh, run away, run, run as fast as you can, tell a parent, tell a caregiver that something is happening to you. Being safe from sexual abuse. Um, also, I want to refer back to the songs that Anghani released. You can listen to the songs from this age. They can be repeating those songs and they can be aware of this. What a second advice for parents. Um, if you are looking for more information, um, Sarah Z is speaking to us from SAFE. Uh, the songs are out now. You can find them on the platform Angami, which is A-N-G-H-A-M-I. Songs for children to listen to, created and worked with psychologists. Research sadly showing that 86% of parents don't know how to educate their kids about safety from sexual abuse as children. So please, please, please do take the time to sit with this, to have some conversations with yourself, with your partner, um, and how you're going to approach this in your family in a way that, in a way that feels appropriate and doesn't feel uncomfortable because it's not a conversation that any parent relishes having but it is so so important as I said earlier it's in this stigma in the silence in the shame that predators do um, do take their opportunities Talking inclusion in education right now ahead of an upcoming summit. Catherine O'Farrell is a psychologist who works in education and government consultancy. She's been working with the likes of Mabadala, Zaid Higher Organisation, Ernst & Young to promote exactly that, inclusion across the Emirates. They've been hosting summits all free to bring teachers together and help them develop their inclusion practices. Um, there's another one coming up in just a few weeks, 30th of January for nursery and early years practitioners. Um, fantastic to have you with us today, Catherine. How are you? Hi, Helen. I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for having us on and for really providing a great platform to spread the word about the summits. Can I ask you why this is an area of education that you're really passionate about, Catherine? And why do you think that people listening today, whether they work in education or not, should care about inclusion? Um, Okay, well, inclusion, if you if you look at some of the statistics worldwide, less fewer than 10 percent of people 
who have a disability or a learning deficit can gain meaningful employment. So on the big picture, it's a hugely impactful topic. Mm-hmm. Personally, I've been working in education for, gosh, I'm giving away my age, about 20 years, and I'm more than 20 years. <laughs> and I've been working with families really closely, um, helping them get learning support assistance so their kids can get entrance into school. And the access to education is really poor if you've got a child with moderate to profound needs. And it's really detrimental to not just the child, but to the whole family. Mm-hmm. And that in turn is detrimental to society. So it's both a personal endeavour and kind of a bigger picture endeavour as well. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you then about some of the obstacles that you think some institutions are coming up against, whether it is attitude or practical. You know, if you could wave a magic wand over nurseries and early years in particular ahead of this summit, what do you think needs to change in order for place to be truly inclusive for children, Catherine? Certainly awareness of the barriers that are experienced by kids who have individual needs. So people have very uh, common misconceptions around autism, around ADHD, and how, how children can be accommodated. And there's some real barriers there that are very easy to fix, very easy to remove. And the purpose of this summit is to bring practitioners together so that we can discuss what those barriers are. And we've got some really amazing presentations from really broad variety of people. Like we've got a nutritionist, Marina Dimchenko, who's going to tell us about the gut microbiome and how that affects children. Mm-hmm. We've got um, some really amazing assistive technology providers like Widget and key to enable who have tools that can literally change a child's experience when they enter a classroom and make education fully accessible to them. And not just the kids, but the teachers. I was an early years teacher myself for years. And if I had known then what I know now, I think my life would have been a lot easier. And we're hoping that we can do that for practitioners through these summits. As I said, it's a completely free to attend summit. Why is that an important piece in in the offering? If, If people think about the educational landscape in the UAE, most of us go immediately to the elite premium schools. We think of really amazing providers like RDS or GEMS and some of GEMS more outstanding schools. But not all schools have big budgets. Not all schools have access to these resources. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we see every day. There are practitioners who simply don't, they can't afford to pay three or four hundred dirhams, even a thousand dirhams to attend a summit. So this is our key driver. We want to make it accessible for every teacher, every nursery practitioner. And you're looking at bridging the gap, I guess, between government and and teachers as well. Why is that such a key part? Why is that collaboration so important when we think about inclusion and the future of inclusion in the UAE? So part of what we've been doing over the last couple of years is working with government entities, um, helping them to design policy, because The government have got a big picture, but very often they don't get the opportunity to get on the ground with practitioners. They don't have the space or the time to sit at the table with them. Mm -hmm. So these summits are a really good space where people can simply talk to people who are trying to implement the policies that are being made in government offices. And it, it sometimes can help shape those policies when they hear, okay, that's not very practical or 
equally that worked really well we need to expand on it can we talk about what does work really well because i think that's a really important thing it's not just about you know thinking about what obstacles there are and potentially how to overcome them but i guess learning from each other um what is existing in some nurseries in early years sharing that knowledge inspiring each other and i'm not asking you to kind of pick any favorites and say you know miss mr so-and-so is doing a great job here but are there any examples that you can share especially from here in the uae that might offer up some inspiration to other facilities other educational institutions absolutely there there are so many it's hard to pick but if you look at um some really amazing practitioners like there's a school in abu dhabi elite private school i'm happy to mention them they have got an early years lead her name is agatha santos and she's going to present on the day she is just profoundly inclusive her team are really amazing and it's through really good collaboration they share practice they work really well together um equally here in dubai we've got um DPS in Jabal Ali, they've literally just gotten a um, really revitalized their whole inclusion department. And it's amazing what they're doing to support kids in classes. So kind of finding these people who are doing an amazing job and showcasing what they're doing on a practical level Mm -hmm. is it will help everyone else to learn from them, but not from somebody who's kind of speaking from a government level, but somebody who's working on the ground at the same level, your peer, your colleague. So we're hoping that we can get people networking. We've got a really active um, WhatsApp group where we have practitioners will put on the group something like, I've got a child who has profound behavioral concerns. I don't know what to do. She's doing this and this and this. And within minutes, there will be 10, 20 people with ideas, with advice and guidance, tools, tricks. And that's what we're really hoping to cultivate. And lastly, what is the summit going to look like in terms of the practicality? Um, Would you mind kind of explaining the where's the ways of getting involved, the hows as well, Catherine? Absolutely. So if you would like to attend, um, you can pop an email to info at inclusion.com. That's I-N-C-L-U-Z-U-N.com. And we can get you registered. Uh, We've got... um, multiple platforms on LinkedIn. You can follow us on LinkedIn. We've got daily updates on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Um, On the day, we will have presentations from practitioners on the ground. We'll also have um, experts from Mubadala, uh, from GEMS, from different practitioners, from um, different therapies that are available as well. So it'll be a big mix of both practical and um, kind of expert advice as well. Thank you so, so much. With your permission, if anyone wants to get in touch with the word info, can I share the email address so people can find out more, Catherine? Would that be okay? Yeah, that would be amazing. And we, spaces are limited. Our last three summits, we had almost double the applications. So please get in quick Quick. and wait for... um, Well, thank you for speaking to us today and obviously all the hard work that's going on behind the scenes ahead of the summit that is taking place. Then this month, Catherine O'Farrell, psychologist, she works in education and government consultancy, committed to inclusion from appropriately inclusion, I-N-C-L-U-Z-U-N. I am in the studio in my jeans and my woolly jumper and my specs. And I'm feeling, quite honestly, very underdressed because in the studio 
we have got the region's cosplayers. And Alex, I have to say, I need to start with you. You look absolutely incredible. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into cosplay. We are, of course, marking Middle East Film and Comic-Con coming very soon. So tell us a little bit about your gateway into this world. Where did it start? Well, if we start from like the very, very beginning... Um, if we take the word cosplay out, just dressing up in general, this is something I have been doing since childhood, since uh, dressing up like, you know, for parties, for events, especially like during Christmas holiday times. Like that is definitely the thing that got me uh, introduced into dressing up in general. But cosplay specifically, interestingly enough, it was actually my teacher in middle school who introduced really? me to it. What? Yeah. And was there a particular character or book or film that you connected with that you thought, you know what, this is something I really want to explore and perhaps make a big part of my life? Yes. Okay. Go on. <laughs> um, there is one very famous anime. It's called One Piece. And there is one swordsman. <laughs> that I really liked when I was a child and uh, his name is Zoro and uh, he was the reason why I got into cosplay. Well, I have to say you two... Esther and Alex, you actually won the cosplay competition at last year's Comic-Con and went on to represent Team UAE at the World Cosplay Summit in Japan. So tell us about, the, I guess, the meeting of minds and creativity that you saw, obviously here in the UAE, but also in Japan. What was that environment like? Isa, yeah. Hi. Uh, so the experience, uh, first of all, uh, my name is Isa Bastaki, well known as uh, Adam's Cosplay. So I've been cosplaying for almost like uh, 2nd of December 2010. So <laughs> <laughs> National day. Yeah, literally, literally on national day. So You have it all written down? <laughs> yeah, I literally wrote it down. All documented. My first, no evidence. first day, you know. And uh, so talking about World Cosplay Summit, it was really an amazing experience. Like feeling to represent UAE in Japan itself, like something that I would keep it like towards my heart, mm -hmm. to be honest, because I never thought actually I would compete in uh, MEFCC to win World Cosplay Summit preliminary to go to Japan, you know? Can I ask what the competition involved? So what did you what did you need to do as part of the event here in order to go to Japan? And so, what was the winning what was the winning costume? So the winning costume is actually a game called Tekken. And uh, my character was called Shaheen and uh, her character called Alisa. So mine was mostly between like uh, it's more into suing. So she proposed that let's compete for World Cosplay Summit. And I told her, like, you know, I'm a bit busy, right? <laughs> so Having a day I, job. No, so you know. it's not about also the day job. I was in the middle of the, um, the national service. Oh, gosh. So it was the two weeks part of it. I, she gave me a call while I was there, you know. And I'm like, you Hello, know. Lisa, do you, do, you, do you want to join the cosplay competition? <laughs> I told yeah. her, I don't know. I have a very tight time you know and i need to finish my work she's like let's do it for fun and i'm like you know what why not why let's not? do it <laughs> as all good stories start why not um alex can i ask about over the years mm -hmm. the creativity and i guess the cash involved in some of the costumes um how involved have you been when it comes to bringing together this creativity and putting it forth the world how much cash are we talking on costumes do you think 
Well, to be honest, something like cosplay to me is priceless. I don't, oh, <laughs> I don't nice count answer. the cash. But uh, I would definitely say it's a very costly hobby, mm-hmm. especially depending on which materials you're making your costumes from. For example, like uh, if we look at how I started uh, making cosplays, I started from pillowcases. So something like that can be a little bit more, let's say, budget friendly compared to uh, buying like, let's say, lots of plastic or like uh, Isa actually did some of his uh, cosplay from fiberglass, which is not only pretty expensive, but very dangerous to work with. (laughs) It was was really dangerous because um, I was working on a helmet and an armor. And I said, you know what, let me work because uh, I worked on so many materials, but it's just for fun to, to do it, you know. So I said to myself, why not work on a fiberglass? And I wasn't having any type of like uh, materials that can actually support my health, you know, like uh, protection. So I was using just uh, cooking gloves and <laughs> just a mask and a goggle. That's it. Was this part of your winning competition? In no, 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 no. It's just, just doing just it for fun. So go. usually, actually, I don't uh, compete at all. I just judge. Well, we are going to be talking about Middle East Film Comic Con, what's in store for this year's event, and ultimately what the guys get out of cosplay. We've also in the studio got <coughs> Eamon Akeli. We're going to be speaking next about the event, what is in store, how you can get involved. And I'd love to know, who would you be getting dressed up? It's so funny these guys mentioning Tekken. I think I've actually got muscle memory from that game from many years ago. And you've got me thinking, who would I get dressed up as? I love a busy studio and not one, not two, but three guests with us as we talk about cosplay ahead of, yes, you guess it, Middle East Film and Con 2024. It's taking place beginning of February, Adnek and Abu Dhabi. Joining us in studio, we have got Alex and Issa, who are, I have to say, looking fabulous. Um, and Eamon Akeli, head, uh, the lead content manager of Comic Con. Thank you for taking time away from your Excel spreadsheet, sir. How are you? All good, thank you. Thank you for having us today. You must, if you're into this world have the best job in the world i mean it's definitely the best job in the world i'll tell you that like if it's anything that i would kind of describe it as it's getting your passion to like life that's about that it's incredible for anyone that hasn't been to a comic con or even you know the one here that we have how do you describe it to anyone if you know if you've just landed in the city and you're looking for something to do on over that weekend i mean if you want to kind of spend a weekend that's absolutely fun but you're entering a world that you've never been experienced like to before this is probably the best place to do that because you will meet a like a group of people that are absolutely passionate about what they do, whether they're into anime, they're into cosplay, they're into gaming, comics, movies, all of that. You meet like-minded people a lot and it's kind of like the best place to be yourself as well. So it's it's a really nice event to kind of go through that. Last year, you guys ended up having about... 35,000 people through the door. And it I'm was sure incredible. It's, it's the UAE, so it's going to be bigger than better Absolutely. than ever before. Um, I know you've had some names added to the the guests. Who, who, I mean, this is a big part of it as well. It's the opportunity for fans to interact with some of the characters, some of their heroes, some of the actors, the stars. Who is on the roster for this year? So, to be honest, I mean, one thing that we really kind of do with the roster in general is like bringing the people that have really made their mark in the pop culture industry. And for us, it's something that we hold with big pride because we do bring people that have really shown out there. For example, the first 
person that we did announce this year that was that kind of took the summer by storm was Iñaki Godoy, who plays Monkey D. Luffy in the One Piece live action series. The reception to him has been phenomenal. And I think bringing a title titular character as Luffy to the Middle East is kind of like incredible because people have been engaging with that sort of thing for the longest time but I think the announcement that we did yesterday as well and that was I think a magical one was finally getting the Phelps twins like someone from the Harry Potter fandom so they play Fred and George Weasley and I think everyone's gone nuts yeah. <laughs> over it since the announcement has gone live and we're that's the kind of thing that we're looking at, right? But it just doesn't go with the celebrities themselves. We also look at people that have made their marks as the voices of legendary characters. So Peter Cullen and Frank, Frank Welker, who play Optimus Prime and Megatron in the Transformers franchise, are flying down to Abu Dhabi as well. And they will be meeting people for autographs and photographs. All their celebrities kind of meet them for these sort of experiences where they get their merch signed to keep for memorabilia or they kind of share a really nice kind of like intimate experience where they take pictures together, get to know them more and kind of like make their marks in history like that they've met celebrities so yeah can i ask you as someone who i have to say i'm not part of this world and i think it's really interesting to think about how you know it can start as teens or in you know 20s and 30s and suddenly it can be this gateway into a character or a book or it's something that, that gets you there um i would kind of be like oh, am i going to feel a bit left out of that and i want to ask you about the, the demographic that do come to comic-con how, how many people are you know dressed up and part of this world and how many people are coming along just to say like wow i'm really interested to see What's going on? So it's very funny because a lot of people that do ask about Comic-Con have the misconception that everyone needs to dress up. Mm. It's not the case at all. If anything, yes, there is a percentage of it. Like, let's say if you talk about 15% of the visitors that do come and cosplay, but they're the kind of visitors that loop in everyone. So like, even if you're not dressed up, you can meet them, you can talk to them, you can get to know people. It's probably the best practice to be kind of involved in a new community and really find yourself seamlessly being involved with them. So it's really nice. Alex, can I ask you, in Comic-Cons gone by, have you found yourself endlessly posing with people who want to have that kind of moment with someone who's gone, you know, above and beyond to look absolutely incredible? Well, I do have a lot of people <laughs> that come up to me to take pictures. Um, uh, do you like that part of it? Yeah, it is. I do enjoy it. It's really fun because, uh, see, not only do you get to take photos with people who love the character as much as you do, you also get to embody the character on camera. That's what I wanted to ask you. How much of it is dressing up and how much is it becoming that character and acting as well? Well... <laughs> Cosplay is a very difficult hobby because it's not only dress up, it's acting, it's voice acting, it's crafting, it's uh, makeup skills, wig skills. It's like it's anything, any craft you can think of can be implemented into cosplay. Issa, you showed me a photo before of you dressed up and you were literally unrecognizable. (laughs) How much do you like that aspect of being able to be somebody else, express yourself in a different way? So I was going to say it's like a little bit of everything on top of each other. That's the first thing I wanted to say. So the character that I showed you, his name is Hidan. And so me as a person who I am right now, as Isa Al-Bastaki, is just someone, a normal person walking and does his daily job and go home, eat, do whatever, play a game and stuff. But as a cosplayer, I put a lot of effort into creating one character. That's it. And not only that I go in the convention or someplace that I'm wearing my costume means, oh, I can just be myself. No, I be the character. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, 
he done and also the Joker, for example. I've done the Joker a long time ago. I really want to bring it back one day. And uh, you need to like be the character like you go into the character himself because for us we don't even just make the costume or create the costume we just become the character himself like we have to study the character like once they uh, my parents actually kind of thought I was crazy <laughs> so, because I wrote the quote of the joker and I kept it inside the car, whereas the window was there. Mm-hmm. And then my my dad passed by, and he read the whole quote, and he went approach my mom, and he's like, "Your son is crazy." And I'm like, "She actually asked me. She's like, what did you? Well, what is that? Why you want to put the knife in your mouth?'" I'm like, "No, it's a quote of the Joker when he says." You know how I got these scars? My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one night he goes off crazy and usual. Mommy gets a kitchen knife to defend herself. And he didn't like that. Not one bit. So it's just turned into the character, you so know? you used to be able to do that in a studio in your Kandora. <laughs> <laughs> never, ne- never mind, you know, in, in full. Can I ask you, um, Eamon, you've been a judge on cosplay uh, panels before. What are you looking for? I mean, we know we've got some award-winning cosplayers in the studio going to Japan. Um, so for any tips and tricks for anyone that might be going along to Abu Dhabi in February, what are you looking for? So one thing I think that I always tell cosplayers over here in the UAE, because we've kind of worked our way to make sure that we're nurturing the talent in the country, is that engage with other cosplayers. Always be communicative with like people that have been to competitions before. Know, know and understand from them and research your character. Because there are people that can cosplay that wouldn't be, let's say, the best in crafting. But when it comes to like performing on stage, they generally bring their characters to life. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, you're looking at the character literally standing on stage when they're supposed to be in a comic book or on screen or something, right? But then there are others that, that kind of take it to the next level by kind of getting the craftsmanship sort of it done and from that it's always practice makes perfect so it can take time it can take a bit of money but it's much much worth it Uh, we've got a message from Cheryl saying shout out to Connor please he's going to be at Comic Con selling his art fingerboards don't know if you've met Connor and his fingerboards but they're really cool creative bits of fun for for the ones he's going to have his own booth so go and support some local businesses as well Um, and lastly in terms of ticket availability we said just how busy it was last year Eamon Um, is it sold out? How can people get involved? And what is the essential booking information? Sure, no worries. So our t- there's only one t- t- ticket type that's been sold out, and that's the ultimate VIP ticket, which kind of grants you access to all the celebrities at the show with a private experience with them as well and all of that. But all of our other avail- uh, tickets that are like available right now, we've got like second level VIP tickets available. We've got three day passes and one day passes and they're all accessible through our website which will take you to our ticketing partners Patim List and Virgin Megastore and they can just buy their tickets from there. Thank you. And last question, Alex. I'm guessing the costume is planned. We're a month out. What are you going to be wearing at the next Middle East Film and Comic Con? Alex, you first. Should we? Oh, <laughs> is it another team? <laughs> we can read <laughs> minds <laughs> to each other. <laughs> Go, I'm, don't keep us hanging. What are you going to be wearing? Or can you not say? Is it a surprise? Well, it's not. It's not very much of a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> well, Go for it, guys. <laughs> all right. Um, well, I guess um, 
To celebrate the fact that we have uh, won last year's preliminaries in UAE, we're going to be bringing back yeah, our preliminary so costumes. We want to use Aww. the same character what we want, actually. Well, honestly, if you want to check them um, out on Instagram, it's Alex Can Cosplay and Erem Cosplay. Thank you guys so, so much. You're most welcome. I'm going to be so checking it out, seeing seeing exactly what's delivered on stage. And Eamon, that website, one more time for anyone. So that's going to be www.com. MEFCC.com. Thank you so much. It's going to be a fantastic event as ever. Next Friday, we are urging you to throw shapes, not tantrums. Family Beat's first family rave. So families that party together, stay together. They'll be at Hero Dubai Desert Classic next Friday afternoon, as will we. We're broadcasting live, so come five o'clock. I think I'll be pretty there in front of the DJ booth. Joining us in studio today, co-founding ravers, DJ Gail and Kerry Lee Bowen. How are you both? Oh, thanks for having us. Lovely to be here. It's awesome to have you both. I have to say, let's, let's start. I need to keep it radio safe. But were you a raver back in the day, Kerry? Of course. <laughs> I was. There's been a big divide for pre-kids and post-kids, I tell you that. I miss my raving days. You describe yourself as a marketer by day and a drum and bass fan by night. Oh, yes, that's my guilty pleasure, drum and bass. And you, Gail? <laughs> yes, and uh, they still dig me out and dust me off when they can't find anyone else, yeah. Now I just want an excuse to party during the day because I can't handle the late nights anymore. Oh, I, I relate so, so hard. Now, my mum and dad aren't listening, so I can say this, but I started going out probably a bit earlier than I legally should have done, sneaking out into Newcastle. Now I was like 14, 15. And yeah, we used to travel all over the UK to go clubbing, getting buses and dodgy lifts and all the rest of it. And I have to say, the friends I made through that, whether it was people I went out with or people that I met, have been some of the most enduring friendships. Oh, it's of, just such a loved up vibe, life. isn't it? Yeah. It's a loved up vibe. It is, and I think a lot of people, and you said it there, Kerry, you know, there's kind of like, there's life partying pre-kids and it's afterwards, and it doesn't need to stop, it just needs to change a little bit. So tell yeah. us about the inspiration behind Family Beats. The inspiration behind Family Beats was exactly as you said, I became a mum, <laughs> 2020. And there is a big divide between pre-kids and post-kids. I did a lot of uh, DJs, music, dancing, pre-kids and post. I was like, wow, I'm too tired for anything. <laughs> so, And that's it. We created Family Beats. We were like, we need to create something during the day for the day, the, the day tribe, so to speak. And it's the UAE's first family-friendly rave. Um, we're going to be at some of the biggest flagship sporting events this year, which is super exciting. But the space is safe for little ears. We're all about good music. So good local talent, uh, top DJs, not Baby Shark, no nursery rhymes, oh, house music, club classics, a mashup of bangers um, to get us on the dance floor. And, and, and the kind of melting pot between kids and adults. So music for adults, FMB, and then lots of entertainment for children. So balloon twisting, arts and craft, face painting. Yeah, it's a, it's a really wonderful afternoon. Family fun. Family um, fun. I wanted to ask you, Gail, a little bit about this concept internationally um, because family-friendly raves, I've had friends, when I, especially when my little ones were much younger, 
them going to them in the UK and me being so jealous that I could have cried. Yes, no, they're it's, huge it's in the UK. Thing. Yeah, there are big festivals. I mean, we're hoping that we grow it to, to being a huge festival as well with different tents and different styles of music. Yeah, no, it's a huge thing. I think what's unique about this, you know, people will go to a brunch where they get rid of the kids for a couple of hours. What's unique about this is you have fun with the kids. You know, the people have got the babies in a papoose or they're just dancing with them. Yeah. And the kids had such a brilliant time at the last event. Yeah. I, I don't have children myself and I was a bit worried of, that they'd be crying and falling over, but none of that happened. They were all just dancing in their diapers. It was so cute. Oh, I mean, you've got younger ones than mine. I mean, mine we were just listening my mum and dad were over recently and we put some music on in the car and we have Siri so I'll choose a song each kid will choose a song and my daughter put on she put on stuff that I was listening to like you know early 2000s house music and my mum was like oh good grief she's going to be like you isn't she she's going to she's going to be a club kid and I was like not going to like because kids love a beat you know, yeah. they love to, and it's, there's nothing cuter when you see those little toddler legs just kind of like pumping up and down, <laughs> their little knees going. Yeah. It's adorable. Are your kids into it, Kerry? Massively. Um, l- like yourself, I mean, I actually went to uh, an event in the UK and it was a drum and bass event. And my daughter was maybe two and she was giving it large. Loving it. Yeah, loving it. We have got... Carrie Lee Bone, Gail Clough in the studio. They are joining us. They are, as they put it, the co-founding ravers of Family Beats. It's Dubai's first family-friendly rave. They're going to be at Hero Dubai Desert Classic next Friday afternoon, which we should say registration is completely free. Yes, yeah, this one's free, yeah. And this is from three until six. Who is DJing, Gail? Is it going to be you having a spin or have you teed up someone else? No, we've got, I'm a bit of a cheese, too much cheesy (laughs) DJ for this one. Um, No, we've got, um, what is it, too much... So much heat, so much Dan heat. and Christian. Honestly, too much heat, so much heat. Yeah, they're great, aren't they, those guys? They've yeah. played all over. They've, what, what's the radio station they were on? Uh, Ibiza Global Radio yes, Station. they're cool yeah. and trendy. They're not like me. Yeah, they <laughs> Christian Baldini, tunes. right? That's Christian, correct. yeah, Christian yeah. Baldini, yeah. He's seen some of my very worst dance moves. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. But I think he's seen everybody's worst dance moves in this town, <laughs> so, hasn't he? So what kind of music can we expect? Because you said it's not, it's not about kid fr- It's not the Wiggles. No, it's, it's not commercial house, yeah. Yeah, funky house, club classics. Yeah, and it's just for three hours music. as well you know I think that's the other thing about going clubbing clubbing in the adult environment it goes on for hours and hours mm-hmm. this is just three hours long which is enough isn't it it is I, 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 I mean I don't know if you're familiar but Annie Mack started doing a, a big club night in the UK and I think, it, I think it's called Before Midnight catering at us in you know 30s 40s 50s upwards who want a night out want that sense of connection and dancing and you know moving and that collective music experience that shared experience but ultimately want to be at home before midnight um i think that i think it's really really resonating with people because it's a big part of people's lives a big part of identity as well and you know when, when we become parents in particular you know, we say goodbye to a lot of hobbies. And it's not a conscious thing. It's not like, oh, I'm a mum or a dad, so I can't do that anymore. It's just that your life ex- expands in other ways that mean that, you know, you can't be staying out till four o'clock in the morning necessarily. Or, I mean, you can, but my goodness, you only do it once or twice because the next day is absolutely horrendous. Um, or, you know, whether it is hobbies like, you know, oh, I used to love going to my Sunday night yoga class and I don't do that anymore. You know, all of these things. And it sounds like, what you guys are kind of making it easy for people to do is to tap back into a little bit about who people are and 
were and want to keep being. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think people miss getting on the dance it. floor, don't they, as well? I mean, even now when you go out, everything's separated into booths and tables. You know, I think we grew up in an era when everyone congregated on the dance floor and it was tribal. Yeah. It, it was, was like a collective consciousness. I think um, we've had a few a few good brunches recently and ended up doing karaoke. And I was like, I couldn't remember the last time that I looked around and I was like, everyone there is just completely letting loose. And yeah, I mean, the singing was absolutely atrocious. But, you know, screaming Mr. Brightside into a microphone, you know, mm. it's, it's, I think we're all very tightly wound right now and the chance to let go and the chance to have some fun with our kids is brilliant and we've got in the studio this afternoon family beats if you've got any questions for those guys or ultimately you want to tell us the song that you would love to hear you can of course get in touch on 4001 this is what we're talking about Kerry we're gonna have a bit of pump up the jam commercial house funky house or is that a bit early for you guys Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. This is on point. This is on point. Okay, so we had a question saying how to get involved. Great question. So you have had your first rave, which was um, early on. What was the response like to that, Gail? Oh, it was fantastic. Um, you know, we had far more people turn up than we expected. And just the atmosphere was electric. Like I say, just to see all the little kids all bouncing around and the parents really enjoying being with the kids rather than trying to fob them off with somebody else for yeah, a couple of hours. Absolutely right. And so we're going to be there live, the Hero Dubai Desert Classic, next Friday afternoon. It is, of course, a golfing event, but it's not just golf. And I think, again, a lot of people go, oh, but there's nothing for me if I'm not into golf. There, there's going to be food trucks. You've got family dancing, of course, and it's free. But how can people join us? <laughs> As I say, you on the dance floor, Carrie. How can they join us on the dance floor? Uh, if you check out our website, uh, www.familybeats.co, so that's F-A-M-I-L-Y-B-E-A-T-Z.co, you can actually register through our website directly onto the Hero Dubai Desert Classic and as you mentioned general admission is is free so we really look forward to seeing you down on the dance floor and in terms of future events girl yes um, we've got we've got two more yeah so if you can't make that one we're at Al Habtor Polo Resort on the 26th of January 28th and 28th of January I'll be there on the 26th on my own (laughs) 28th of January and what's the other date Kerry 3rd of March Sunday the 3rd of March 2 to 5 so 3 hour party people and you can buy your tickets through our website it's 100 dirhams kids go free so this is sunday 28th son of, of january sunday 3rd of march uh, that's ticketed but if you want to join us and as i said come by we're going to be broadcasting live from the hero dubai desert classic next friday afternoon if you head on over to familybeatswithaz.co you can register for free entry next week we'd love to see you there my kids are going to be there in fine form i am sure um if you want to send me the word beats I will send you the link. You've got to get back to your spreadsheets and get yourself ready for next week. See you all on the dance floor. Cheers, Gail. Appreciate it. (laughs) Carrie, absolute pleasure to catch up. As I said, if you want to send me the word beats, I will send you the links. We will be there next Friday afternoon. Completely completely free entry. And as we said, all sorts of fun from uh, some... Yeah, family-friendly raving, balloon bending. I'm sure we'll check some face painting there. Licensed bar, loads of food. It's going to be a great afternoon. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. 
To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.